0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Currently Not Tripping. Today, I'm your host, Lee. I am joined by my good buds, Chris, and somebody who's back from exile, Nick. Good to see you guys again.
1: Back from
2: exile, yay.
1: Thanks, Lee. Happy to be back.
0: So this week's episode is sponsored by Ace M from Amundsen Scott South Pole Station. That's a handful. Who wants to remind listeners to water your garden. Thanks, Ace.
1: I guess that oh, okay. makes sense. Being from the uh, the South Pole, I guess they're approaching summertime. Although uh, I imagine at the South Pole, all of their gardens and plants are
2: inside. So you 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 water the plants because the plants are just made of ice, and therefore your plants grow when you water them because it just accumulates more ice. <laughs> In summary, there is no actual vegetation at the South Pole. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> if you don't water
0: your plants, you don't eat. I think that's part of it, too. Anyway, I was actually talking with Ace earlier, before the World Cup, and he said that they raffled off all of the flags that flew at the South Pole all year, and which ones that represent the uh, the countries in the Antarctic Treaty. So Ace actually won a pretty special flag. He won Argentina. So I guess it was destiny. Ace is responsible for this win.
1: <laughs> He's going to be happy to uh to know that. And I get the, I guess that flag got uh infinitely more valuable after that W. Okay, so um, I just want to say one more thing before we jump into it. Is uh, I just returned from a uh, work trip. And a vacation trip overseas. So big thank you to Yuri and Barney for filling in. I think they did a great job and happy to have them on in the future. But um I was actually in the air on my flight during the World Cup final. And so I have a huge shout out to Lufthansa Airlines for live streaming the game. They literally only had one TV station that they streamed for everybody, and it was the World Cup and i think almost everyone on the flight was watching and it, it was actually a fairly even split between fans of argentina and fans of france but uh thank you lufthansa not a sponsor should be a sponsor
0: yeah that's really cool i mean i couldn't even stream the game from home on my big screen tv cuz i don't have cable <laughs> and i couldn't even find it anywhere so maybe i should have been flying too or Remind going to minecraft or to something book flight yeah exactly. in 2026 <laughs> exactly <laughs> Better chances of that catching a game there. My goodness. But anyway, uh, before we jump right into the game, I wanted to bring up a pretty interesting point here. Um, Back a few episodes, I think it was maybe nine or ten, whichever one we did, all of our predictions. We actually had some pretty uh, cool predictions for the final. So Chris and Nick both predicted that the final matchup would be France and Argentina um i had argentina and france in my final four neither moving on to the finals because the teams that i had picked were belgium and germany neither of which which even made it into the tournament stage for uh so i guess in a way i got it right because those are the two best teams <laughs> moving uh-huh. out of the group stage yep, sure okay did. yeah 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 good job buddy um Interestingly, Nick had chosen France to win the final and Chris chose Argentina. So good job, Chris. You've been sticking with this team all since the beginning.
2: Yeah. For those listening, I'm doing a a double fisted congratulations to myself in the air right now. You don't have to bow. I'm not that kind of a a leader here. Um, But uh, thank you, everybody who supported me. Uh, I'll be back four years from now. (laughs) Love it. Well, since you know everything about this team, why
0: don't you go ahead and uh, start us off? Let's talk about the game. Um, Chris, do you want to take us through the first half?
2: Yep, happy to do it. So Argentina-France was uh, arguably the best game of the tournament. Um, It's easy to say because you get the elevation of the final, but man, this game had so many twists and turns. You could put it up there, finals aside, in the top three of of many other games that took place, and this tournament was something else, so... You end the first half and it's two to zero. Argentina winning and forget the score line, they are dominating France. France really didn't know what to do with themselves. They uh started the game with a tactic that did not pay off for them. Uh, one that relied on using uh Giroud up front as somebody who has been has done well for them this tournament, trying to gain advantage of his height. Um, it just didn't really work out. Uh, they had zero shots on goal the entire half. There was a penalty um, which uh, Messi scored. It was a it was a good penalty call and then the second was a fantastic fluid Argentina team goal. I mean this watching the second goal was embodied how they played throughout I think the entire game, not necessarily the tournament. A little bit of a surprise start. Maybe not totally surprising, but hell de Maria, um, he hasn't featured in consistently throughout this tournament, but he's an incredible player. I think probably some would have guessed he came on uh, simply because it's his uh, very likely his last tournament. Along with Messi, they're both around the same age at this point, uh, maybe one or two years off uh, from each other. But he just hadn't featured that much, so a lot of you know the other half of people assumed why would he start today? Um, but he was. Great choice to start him. He played fantastically uh, up the left wing, like he always does. He's shown, you know, ebbs and flows in this tournament, but man, he really, like, left it all out on the field for this tournament. So uh, great for him. To uh, a little bit of a, you know, sticking point for France and a little bit of a surprise, I should say, was two tactical substitutions before the half. So I think these were made around the 40th minute mark, not counting the extra nine minutes or ten minutes, you know, of of ex the time that they added on in the first half, they took Giroud and Dembele off. Dembele really just wasn't having any effect on the game. Uh, Kolo Muani and Thuram came on in place of those two. I think at the end of the day, the uh, coach was probably looking to make an impact and claw back two to one. Right before the half, he suspected that. With a little bit of added time they had you know call it 15 uh, minutes to play i can see the why and why nots but he made it and i think at the end of the day it was a good call so that's that's my take on it nick unless you have um anything to add definitely have plenty to add uh Great. so totally agreed on those uh
1: two substitutions being a good idea um just for the average listener out there tactical substitutions before the half are pretty much unheard of. Usually, first-half substitutions are reserved for injuries or something like that. Most uh, teams like to save their substitutions to the second half, at least give everybody the time. And actually, I was very surprised at the the lateness of this substitution in the first half, because if you wait to halftime, you can have a little bit more time and have that halftime break to figure out exactly what you want to do tactically and make sure you're getting the right people on and make sure everybody knows what's going on. But then again, this is the finals. So you don't have that time to play with. If uh, the, the way that this game was going, Argentina could have had another one in that, in that time. So I don't blame Didier Deschamps, the French coach for making those changes when he did you got to do everything you can to try and win the game and i thought that uh honestly argentina was so dominant in that first half i i was shocked cuz i thought that you know on paper france were the better team but it seemed like argentina were the only team on the field that day that wanted to win they were more energetic they were more cohesive as a team they attacked together they pressed together um and it was just It was a really fun half to watch uh, if you were an Argentina fan. So I'll take us through uh, going into that second half. After those changes, we came back, and it was honestly more the same for probably 20, 25 minutes. And then France made a couple of changes around the 70th minute. I think it was the 71st minute, and uh, France changed up their midfield. They actually brought in uh, Eduardo Camavinga, who's a fantastic midfielder, and played him at left back, which I thought was a really interesting move, but it it did actually work. And I think Camavinga played pretty well for them. And so this team just started to, like, honestly come to life a little bit. They didn't look like they were going to take the game to Argentina the way that Argentina took the game to France. But in that first half, Argentina had 59% of the possession, whereas in the second half, it totally flipped and France had 55% of the possession. So France actually saw more of the ball and did more with it in that second half. And then later with only like 10 minutes left, France was able to take advantage of a sloppy play and get a penalty and then a volley by Mbappe. Uh actually do I have that in the right order Chris? Was that was the volley first or the penalty goal first?
2: Um I don't, I don't recall.
1: Okay. Well, regardless, it was Mbappe scoring them both. And both of those goals came within 90 seconds of each other.
2: It was the penalty first, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, thank you. Yep. So these these goals came so quick that it just... It seemed like all of the momentum had shifted. And just like that, 90 seconds, and it felt like France was about to just win this game. They saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Argentina was on the back foot. Like, we've been kicking this team's butt. Oh, yeah. One other thing that I really want to mention here is that Argentina looked gassed by the end of the game. And I was looking back because I I didn't really remember too many substitutions. And they actually only made one substitution before the 90th minute. And that's probably why Argentina looked gassed. They had a lot of players who were running really hard, putting in a ton of work and just like Rodrigo de Paul the, the goal scorer, Di Maria, he looked really exhausted by the end of the game. He was actually their one substitution. And uh, a few of the other guys, just like Julian Alvarez, was running around like a madman. And he just was absolutely exhausted by the end of the game. And so I I do think that the the coach for Argentina, who did a great job in setting this team up, I think he could have done a little bit better. Maybe if he'd made some of those substitutions earlier on, maybe one or both of those goals wouldn't have happened. I don't know. Hindsight. But uh, Chris, what did you think of the second half?
2: Yeah, that was a great analysis. I think Argentina were really shoving it down France's throat, even in the second half, through about the 70th, 75th minute, and then the game turned on its head. You know, by the time uh, Mbappe converted the second goal, I was just like, "All right, it's going to be another one of those days," and uh, I mean that. And just like how many crazy games we have sat through in this entire World Cup, just the oh, the the stress of it, right? All this great entertainment, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think Didier um, did himself a lot of good in making those uh, substitutions in the first half. Um, I think all they that set them up because all they really needed was, like, one spark. In the second half, they were still getting browbeat by Argentina, but they didn't look nearly as terrible as they did in the first half. They had no energy and no life in the first half whatsoever. It looked like they were there at, like, a knockout stage game. Um, It was really sad to watch, actually. You know, I would say um, in the second half, it was just more once um, the— a uh, second goal happened. it started getting a little more frisky between the two teams, I'll say. You know, some of those smaller fouls end up being blown up a little bit as teams try and waste time, um, you know, before the the second half in some plays. And you get a little bit of, like, sort of, like, strategic time wasting from both the teams um, trying to either get something or just, like, drag on play, so... It was, it was really tense after the second goal for France, uh, France, um, they looked much, much better than in Argentina, seriously looked like they were on the back foot, but they were able to keep it together and keep, uh, enough of, uh, not a clean sheet, but goals scored against them until it got to the end of normal time, which again, had another long period of extended time added on. So yeah, not too much else to say. Um. I, I think um, your summary was spot on.
1: All right, awesome. Do you want to take us through overtime?
2: Yeah, overtime was just as crazy as, as the game itself. Another two goals scored. Argentina had the ball 62% of the time, which is crazy. 12 shots combined over the 30 minutes, so break it up into 15 periods, uh, two 15 periods. Uh, eight of those 12 were for Argentina. Yeah, it was just again back and forth. It looked like Argentina had won it and then France came back again. <laughs> Guess who? You know, it the extra time period for me the sort of teams decentralized a little bit and it really came close to becoming like the Mbappe versus Messi game. And that was the storyline going into the game but like I can remember two or three runs from Mbappe just in that extra extra time. I remember the Argentinian team just revolving a lot of their play around Messi as like the central cog, which is how they play anyway. It just seemed to be happening more and more often. I think you know they were like, "Geez, you know, we really got to win this game and and like sock it to them." Let's just look at our best players, right? Some could argue that's good or bad, but yeah, it was. I'll Nick, I'll let you cover the shootout, but um, you always love to see in that extra time like. Two or three minutes before it ends, you know, they're like there must have been four or five substitutions that made. I think Dybala came on for like maybe his only given time during that entire tournament simply to take a penalty. Um, is a fantastic player. I think he normally would have been starting if he wasn't injured or sick. I forget which one at the beginning of the tournament. Um, but, you know, uh, taking Kunde off, who had a, a frankly a pretty poor game, uh, which is rare. He's an excellent player. And you just try and, you know, really um, stack on your uh, great shot takers. I was really happy to see um, Ibrahima Kanate, French defender from Liverpool, get on. Um, He had some couple good defensive plays, but then uh, also, I believe, converted his penalty too, which was great for him. So anyway, I'll stop there. This all culminated in a shootout. And that was also crazy. Big shout out to Martinez. Of uh, Argentina, he did a fantastic job job in the shootout. But also, there was one I I wouldn't consider it a breakaway shot, but a clear shot on goal from France right before extra time ended, and uh, Martinez made a stretch save that really kept him in the game. So, yeah, totally totally crazy uh, second half. Yeah,
1: that was an incredible save that really it it really saved the game because that would have been. The decider, And there was with only a couple of minutes left of, I believe, stoppage time in the overtime that yep. there really wasn't enough time to mount a comeback. But there was also a, uh, another shot by Messi that Lloris tipped over the bar. That was another one that 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 could have tipped the game and, you know, going the other way. So both goalies came up really big in certain moments during this overtime uh, just to bring it to that uh, uh, the shootout. Oh and actually I want to say that uh Upamecano the French defender also mm. made a couple of very key slide tackles that really saved uh France from having a couple of you know Argentinian shots on goal and so you know very impressed with his play during that game. I would
2: I would say just to add on very quickly before we transition to the shootout we talked about at the very beginning of this po- uh podcast a few players that will go for big money after this Uh, And I can think of two Argentinian players right now who I bet would do that based on where they play and how well they did. McAllister for Argentina. What a funny last name uh, that does not sound South American to me at all. That sounds like Scottish, but did an excellent job. He plays, I think, for Brighton and Hove Albion, which is like a decent team in the Premier League. But like he could be doing much better and he probably will be come the uh, uh, summer transfer window. And also Martinez for Argentina. Uh, Shout out to um, him for keeping Steven Gerrard employed for maybe three games longer than he should have been because he is the goalie for Aston Villa in the Premier League. Um, And Steven Gerrard was fired for a poor run of form, but it is in no case due to Martinez. He is an incredible goalkeeper, and he replicates that at the club level too my guess is somebody is going to go in their top top name team in England or otherwise and try and scoop him up.
1: Yeah, good, good points on both of those guys. Two things that I wanted to mention about that is uh, one, I really dislike the British announcers who pronounce Martinez Martinez. <laughs> it, it just blows my mind every single time. Martinez.
2: That's, that's really funny. I was not, I, I did not have the English announcers. I was on uh, en espanol so i could only make out parts of it they were certainly pronouncing it correctly
1: good yeah i certainly would hope so <laughs> and then uh i just want to add enzo fernandez to the uh to the list of players who could go for big Bunny. he's currently mm-hmm. um playing for benfica in portugal right now and so i know that uh he could make a a huge move as well
2: i was gonna say um like there are a lot of outstanding players in France, too. But a lot of those French players already all play for big-name teams, so you don't really see any surprises in there. You do have a few players for Argentina that just stand out as, like, they're just, you know, this was their time to shine. Like, McAllister, I frankly didn't even know who that guy was before this tournament, but he featured so well for Argentina in the majority of their games. Like, I don't see a world where he doesn't move on.
1: Agreed. And I also similarly had never heard of him. Yeah. So awesome. Okay. So now that was the end of extra time. The game was tied three to three. And so how this works with penalties, each team picks five players and it it alternates. So in this case, France went first after a coin flip where they chose to go first, I should say. And so they alternate. You know, France-Argentina, France-Argentina, etc. And it goes until mathematically one team's eliminated. If you get to five takers and it's still tied, it becomes sudden death, where if one team scores and the other one doesn't, it's over. And so we didn't even get to five. So it started with Mbappe and Messi. Both of them, as you can imagine, both coolly scored their goals, and then it jumped over to Kingsley Coman of France, who had a pretty good shot, bottom left corner, but uh, Emmy Martinez came up huge and made a diving save, a very, very good save. And this was followed up by Argentina's Paulo de Bala, who Chris mentioned was subbed on specifically to take a penalty kick. So a lot of pressure on you if you came in for this one job, you better do it right. And, you know, he actually just kicked it right down the middle. Hugo Lloris of France dove and, you know, the ball just sailed right right down the middle. If uh, if Lloris hadn't moved, it would have hit him in the face and he would have saved it. But he oh. dove and is what it is. And then it jumped back to France for Shuameni. And he wanted to go bottom corner. But I think at the last second he saw that Emmy Martinez was diving the way that he was kicking it. And so he tried to push it a little bit further to just keep it away from Martinez but ended up pushing it a little too far and went wide of the goal, missing it altogether. And so this was through three France penalty kicks and two Argentinas. France only had one in and Argentina had two. So jumps on Paredes from Argentina, who with all the pressure behind him, coolly slots it away. And then you're sitting at three to one. So France really needed a miracle at this point because being down two is almost impossible to come back from. And so Colomuani Muani pops up and he scores one. It was a it was do or die score or go home and it's over. And he scores it, and then all France could do was hold their breath as Montiel from Argentina came up. And if he scores it, it's over. And he does exactly that. Coolly slots it to the side netting, and Argentina wins the World Cup on penalties four to two.
0: Now I didn't watch this, but that sounded exactly like how how it went down with argentina and netherlands in what like the the quarters or so it was, wasn't it like the same score it was like the same dramatics where like the netherlands missed the first few they had to had to like make every goal down the stretch and make it continue i don't know it it, it sounded identical it's like argentina literally went through that same scenario just like a few games prior
2: no you're right it was quite similar i think the final score line prior to penalties was like two to two instead of three to three but like it's yeah, not talking it's about the penalties anywhere.
0: alone yeah it's like the same scenario oh, totally. make it and you you win
2: and netherlands had the crazy goal right before extra time ended oh like, yeah that's to, right yeah to put it's like through. the same game
0: yeah yeah
2: it's it's <laughs> it is eerily similar for sure Argentina have not done themselves any favors in the amount of playing time that Argentina has had to go through in order to get to the final in the first place but yeah that was a great coverage of the shootout Nick I think yeah Martinez like I can't say enough about that guy uh will also for those um with or children watching um earmuffs not saying anything bad but uh he made a uh, a little bit of a lewd gesture when he got the Golden Glove Award um, in after the, uh, the victory. Um, he put the trophy on his crotch and made some obscene gestures. I don't know why he chose to do that. If it was towards France or if he was just totally excited and overwhelmed, which who wouldn't be? Um, but that was funny. If you want to go take a look at that, <laughs> I would say uh, there were, you know, a couple of storylines going into this game. One was, is Mbappe the next Pele, right? Is he the one that wins France three in a row, similar to how Pele did for Brazil? And will Messi leave, you know, the international stage uh, with the last major trophy he has uh, missing in the cabinet? And uh, it went the way of Messi. The game is centered around those two players, but Messi came out on top, thanks uh, in large part to his team. And of course, he was spectacular, but I personally, you know, my prediction even before this tournament started was with heart and with head. So, like, it's hard not to count out Argentina when they came in to uh, this tournament on a 39-game unbeaten streak. Um, But my heart, you know, also said, boy, I love Messi. I would love to see him, you know, retire as being the GOAT of football, global football, of which— some can argue he now is. But just uh, I'll take off my fan hat and take off, uh, put on my refereeing hat for a moment. We talked a little bit in the previous episode about who is going to get the nod for this. It was uh, Simon Marciniak from Poland, who has done a good job throughout this entire tournament. And I think he did a, gr- a fantastic job in this final, which uh, certainly got heated at moments. He tried his best to let the game flow. And for throughout the first half and, and parts of the, the second half, you know, both teams were being rough, but nobody was really, you know, like getting up in each other's faces. The people that were dishing it out were also taking it and knowing that, you know, look, this is the final game of the tournament. Everybody's going to be throwing everything into it. So the referee handled that, you know, sort of atmosphere very well. He did a great job not brandishing cards early on. His strategy instead is to, you know, get up in players' faces very quickly. I remember in the first 15 minutes, the I, th- I think it was the left back, um, or maybe it was the right back for Argentina. I forget the player. Just made some stupid foul. You could tell it was not for the ball. Like, I don't think the player even had the ball. He just came up and, like, pushed him in the back after he passed it. And the referee ran straight up to him and just started screaming in his face to a point where you could see the player kind of like shirk down a little bit in fear. Um, So small things like that, you know, are tools that the referee has at his disposal and he did a very good job with it. And then at the end of the game, like there were a lot of, you know, uh, foul calls and calls for penalties when there really weren't. Um, He did a fantastic job just, you know, sitting there, being patient, letting the players get it out of their system instead of bickering or arguing with them. You know, it's at the World Cup. If you see what you think could be even close to a handball in the box, you're going to want it. He did a great job of letting that all pass, relying on his team, relying on the technology, the VAR officials, and just going throughout the entire, like, game. He also just refereed, not that it's super difficult, but it is a little different if you don't have experience Uh, leading and organizing the actual shootout at the end to the penalties. Um, Did a great job there. And then big uh, shout out to the American referee, Ismail Elfath, who was our fourth official. Um, He is now tied with Mark Geiger for the number of games refereed at any one tournament, which is four. Kudos to him. He didn't really have a ton to do right Um, between the two coaches. The two coaches were pretty tame, um, there was no outbursts or anything like that. So he managed subs. He talked to the coaches here and there when they had, you know, guffaws or or wanted to complain. But very happy to see an American referee make it into the the team for the last uh, for the final as well.
1: Awesome! Thanks for that breakdown, Chris. All right. So I think that's it for the the game itself. Now, uh, right after they awarded the winning team they also gave out all of the individual awards so lee why don't you take us through those
0: yeah these are a lot of fun we had covered these in an earlier episode too kind of going through our predictions but uh now let's take a look and see who actually won them so we'll start with the golden ball the golden ball award the one that's typically given to the best player at the tournament uh no surprise here it's Lionel Messi putting on a show all the way throughout the tournament. Sometimes it goes to the best player on the losing team, but clearly that wasn't the case here. They, I think they just want to give him all the accolades. Why not? Uh, <laughs> Nick and I actually correctly predicted this one. I don't know who Chris had chosen at the beginning of the tournament, but it wasn't him I don't know,
2: but I really shot myself in the foot here by choosing Argentina to win and not choosing Messi. <laughs> I think, I think
0: that's, that was the reason, because you said it doesn't come from... a player on the winning team so i remember talking um, about that I'm quite i'm just a gonna bit.
2: yeah turn around here and leave i'll, I'll see you guys later there. well <laughs>
0: <laughs> close enough at least you're close enough all right next we have the golden boot award so the player who scores the most goals um kilian mbappe won this one with his hat trick in the final game with eight goals messi was right behind with seven um when it comes to our predictions for the three of us <laughs> none of us were even close um I think I was the closest with uh, Kai Havertz, who scored two. Um, Nick chose Darwin Nunez, who didn't actually score any. And Chris chose someone who didn't even play in the tournament. So that just goes to show Chris 0 for 2 on the awards, but one for one on the team. Hey, at least you win something.
2: Uh, Second fail in a row, yeah. So I chose, um, let's see, the team for the person that won the MVP and also the team for the golden boot winner, my original choice was Benzema. I would, in my defense, and there's there's no way, I mean, I got this totally wrong, so there's no way I, I can defend it, but I would like to point out that um, when we were predicting France, I did call out Giroud, who also scored, I think it was five goals by the end of the tournament. No, it, it must have been four, um, because I know that Messi and Mbappe were the only ones tied on five, um, but... He was their backup forward in place of Benzema. He featured quite well.
0: Yeah, he did. Probably wouldn't have made it this far without him anyway. Yeah, that's right. Next on the list for awards, we have the Golden Glove. So the best goalie award, as Chris mentioned earlier, it's Emmy Martinez from Argentina. Um... (laughs) Did
2: you do that on purpose? I really love that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he... He made some really incredible saves, including a really uh, key penalty saves and, you know, the multiple shootouts that they had. Obviously, you know, those are really clutch situations. You got to make them when it counts. Um, none of us correctly predicted this one. However, uh, I think Nick did say that two-thirds of the previous winners of this award were typically on the winning team of the tournament. Um, but then he chose the wrong team. He chose France. So you went with their goalie. Kind of cool stat. Pretty cool to see that it still holds true. and is kind of the most logistical
2: award, honestly. If you win a tournament, you probably had a good goalie. Was it, Nick, uh, correct me on this, because you'll you'll be the only other person that knows in this room here. (laughs) Sorry. But um, did Tim Howard win the Golden Glove that uh, year where he had the uh, crazy amount of saves versus Belgium? Does that factor into how they decided?
1: I don't think that that's accurate.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if it is either, but if I'm to pick, like, one instance where the Golden Glove goes to somebody, like, totally outside the top two, I would consider giving it to Tim Howard, who still holds a record for goalkeeping.
1: Nope. No, it looks like uh, it's only gone to really good players on really good teams. And I don't think uh, we made it far enough for Tim Howard to be, you know, thoroughly considered.
2: He is a very good player on a... On the global stage, an okay team.
1: Yeah, I was actually pretty surprised by that pick. Um, Obviously, I think it was swayed by how important he was in that final game. And don't get me wrong, he came up absolutely huge in the final. But I thought there were a couple other goalies that um, statistically performed quite a bit better than him. Um, Case in point for me would have been uh, probably uh, Lavakovic from Croatia. I was very, very impressed with him, especially because I, he was another one that I'd never heard of before. But I, I think he had some of the better stats on the uh, in the tournament. But there's a few other goalies that are, are worth a shout here. But um, don't get me wrong, I don't think that Emmy Martinez is a bad pick. I just think that there's a couple others that could have, you know, also gotten a little bit of uh, credit here.
2: There can only be one.
1: All right, and we have uh one more individual award
0: to give out here um that's the young player award so this one's probably the most unpredictable of all the awards because you really have no idea who's going to show up um you got to have enough time in the tournament to even prove yourself and to make the most out of those moments really uh it went to enzo fernandez of argentina who played really, really well, scored in a lot of really crucial moments for this team, obviously on their victory run. Um, Personally, I think it's totally deserved. I actually was able to catch a few of his highlights. And, man, that kid can play. Doesn't feel like he's, you know, new to the scene at all whatsoever. I mean, what do you guys think?
2: I think that's a totally deserved call. You know, it's it's similar to how the... Golden Glove or any of these awards go, like the higher, the farther your team makes it into the tournament, the higher percentage chance you have of getting any one of these. So the same goes for the Young Player Award here. You know, he's playing for Argentina. It's it's tough to see. You know, there are a couple other breakouts, the pick that I would have considered, who I just thought, like, not only did he shine, but he needed to because his team just wasn't playing up to snuff was uh, Cody Gakpo for the Netherlands. Um, it was just so fun to watch him play Saka for England too incredible. He had a fantastic tournament, very young player. but at the end of the game like I remember watching uh, Fernandez in the final and like he just looked like a natural. I don't think there was one game where he really stood out as like incredible, but given his age and the platform that he's playing with, like his poise, his calmness, is thinking throughout the game, like totally deserved.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's totally deserved. I think he benefited a bit by being on the same team as a bunch of big names like, you know, the man himself, Lionel Messi. So I don't think that the eyes were on him nearly as much as they would have been, had he been on almost any other team, but I thought he did a really great job. And so I was, I was very impressed with him. Very uh, deserving of the, of the award. One, other person who I uh, I was very impressed with was Josko Gvardiol of Croatia who I believe I I mentioned to you Chris I asked you during the Croatia review if you thought a defender could ever win this award and um obviously he did not win the award but Croatia was able to secure third place they beat Morocco in that third place game um we didn't dive into it too much uh, i don't believe either one of us uh, was ab- able to watch the game but uh, cr- congratulations to croatia for finishing third and congratulations to morocco for finishing fourth both incredible achievements but um i was i was just so impressed with Gavardiol's ability in center defense for croatia and i think that he was instrumental to them making it that far so i would have loved to have seen him win the award but enzo uh Definitely deserved it himself, so I'm not too upset.
2: Yeah, not. I'll I'll echo uh, Nick's sentiments on the third-place game. Croatia took it, um, so a uh, friendly reminder, they made it to the final against France in the last tournament, so Croatia have seriously punched above their weight for a couple tournaments in a row here, so big kudos to him. Even more kudos to Morocco for making it that far. They are the surprise of the tournament. By far and away, they set records uh, for uh, African nations, making it that far into the tournament. And at the end of the day, what was the scoreline there? Two to one. So they had um, two goals scored against them by opposing teams throughout the entire tournament, playing just as many games as Argentina or France due to their uh, third place uh, game. That is an incredible stat in itself. Um, The only other goal they scored was uh, an own goal. So three against them throughout, geez, what is that? Seven games? That's insane. Kudos to them. Yeah, I'm surprised we
0: didn't bring that up earlier in the episode. But yeah, congratulations, Croatia, for the third place. Obviously, Argentina, we're talking about plenty, so we don't need to talk about them anymore. Um, But we have one more award to cover, and this is actually a team award. So this is the fair play. uh, The team that wins this award is typically doing something throughout the tournament that deserves some recognition, either on or off the field. That's just, you know, commended by the world, I guess, um, this year, that award went out to England for receiving the least amount of yellow cards throughout the tournament. They actually didn't pick up their first yellow card. It was Harry Maguire who picked it up against France in their last match of the tournament, and it was the only one. So they were clearly playing the game, right. Uh, being a good sport and i guess other nations have noticed so that was voted upon congratulations england
2: whatever england do (laughs) not need any awards i do not agree with this statistically they they deserve it on that single merit alone in my opinion should have gone to japan uh i loved seeing first of all how they played they played incredibly well throughout the tournament but um all the storylines of their fans picking up the trash after every single game like it should go to the Japanese fan base and that's that's my vote I think like kudos England for only getting a single caution throughout all their games but like that's no fun whoever had this job at FIFA just like threw their hat in and was just like well we'll just do it on yellow cards uh that's really boring to me
1: yep I echo that go Japan okay so let's uh let's jump into the overall thoughts on the entire World Cup. So Lee, did you enjoy following along?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something that's pretty intense over a short period of time. I always like things like the Olympics for this reason. I just enjoy rooting for cool things to happen and a lot of that happened in this World Cup I think is really, really exciting, kind of fun to bring. A lot of cultures together because I actually work in a place where we have people from all nations coming together and like for this last month or so you just hear the chatter everywhere in the hallways in the break rooms whatnot it's all about the world cup so it clearly is like a unifying moment I think that's one of the coolest things um to witness you know outside of just watching the games alone so you know from my personal experience I didn't watch much of the coverage mostly because I just didn't have access to it or it was just poor timing but you know, you can tell wherever you go and the people around you in real life are all, you know, pretty much celebrating this as one large event. And that that's really cool to be a part of, too.
1: Awesome. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, so for me, I'd say that this is probably the best World Cup final of all time, and at least at least of the ones that I've watched. And by best, I definitely mean most entertaining. I think it got a little sloppy during the overtime period, so I think uh, tactically, there's probably been better World Cups, but nothing comes close to this entertaining wise. I've just really enjoyed it. And I think it was a uh, a really fantastic, you know, ending to what was actually been an, an incredibly enjoyable World Cup all across the board. There's a lot of uh, good stories that came out of this. There's a lot of great games that came out of this and I just I really enjoyed this World Cup is it is it one of the better ones that I've seen. Chris, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I agree. this this is my favorite uh, World Cup final and my favorite World Cup, you know, somebody that's uh, younger in his life. I haven't had the opportunity to pay attention to that many at the level um, that I enjoy football now, but I've had a couple under my belt that I've paid close attention to. Even watching, like comparing this to the Euros, which is essentially the same tournament just with European nations, like I haven't seen this many crazy matches in such a short period of time. The upsets, the quality was surprising for some of the big nations. The quality for uh, some of the smaller nations was surprising in a positive way, right? That led to a lot of these upsets, uh, like the the likes of Morocco making it so far, excuse me, or Japan or even Australia coming close too. it was, uh, yeah. Uh, what can you say about the tournament? There's lots of great highlights, memorable scenarios. And like Lee mentioned too, like, this is the world sport. Everybody, you know, whether you've got a uh, skin in the game by the final or not are invested in this. I didn't have skin in the game in the final, you know, France, Argentina, Yeah, I guess I've got a few players here and there, like Messi for sure, but then I could go pick out more than a handful on France that I also love. So, like, I was happy to see France win. At the end of the game, I was more happy to see Argentina win just because Messi gets the lead with his trophy. But, like, if France wins, like, what a storyline that is. Like, two in a row for the first time in decades uh, under, you know, the uh, banner of a starlet. I mean, Mbappe, who I don't think I don't even know if you can call him Starlet anymore, but an incredible player who still has years in front of him. So the storylines were all set up. It was, yeah, I will be remembering this tournament for tournaments to come and referencing this tournament whenever we talk about (laughs) whenever we're at future tournaments. We're going to be like, man, that uh, 2022 back when, yeah, that's it. This has been, you know, such a great month's long period.
1: All right. Well, I think that's it, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we're not done here. So join us in the future as we break down future tournaments, answer more listener questions, and break down the Premier League to help those undecided know who to follow. Thanks, everybody.
2: It's been awesome. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, until next time. See you in four years. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs>